0: Namaste. So today we take up uh, Collected Works of the Mother Volume 4 as part of the series on Collected Works of the Mother. Uh, Once again, I would like to emphasize that it is somehow a strange thing. Sri Aurobindo is as such read uh, rarely, very few people read, very many people know and they end up picking up books like The Life Divine and The Synthesis of Yoga. Uh, and then they declare, oh, it is high philosophy. But the Life Divine was meant for that. It was not meant as a high philosophy, but it ended up like that because its purpose was to answer the questioning philosopher's mind, philosopher's questioning mind. So, Shubhendra had taken up the high, had to take up the highest reaches of the philosophical mind. So, for example, he takes up uh, Buddhist thought, Mayavad. Advaita and all these strands of philosophy, scientific materialism uh, and he had to answer it, not only answer it but to take it to the next level where the, it could be synthesized with the uh, awakening new impulse towards a new spiritual life. So that's a mammoth task. If you read the life divine, you see the argument and then take all this connected with the deepest human aspiration and its fulfillment in the divine life. Therefore, that's a difficult work. Uh, synthesis of yoga is poetry in prose <laughs> and beautiful and it gives us the basis of the practice of yoga. And letters on yoga contain a number of practical things. So, uh, often people have this, uh, I mean this about Sri Aurobindo. the mother is even much less read. Many people even don't talk about it and which is very strange because if you really want the practice of the yoga, then there is no way other than reading the mother. Of course, Shirobindo, letters of yoga, he covers most of the things. But when mother covers it, it's from a very different standpoint, extremely practical. She goes into the smallest details. So, um, the practice of yoga, we see in the mother's collected works. And because the fundamental uh, truth about this yoga is that all life must become yoga, a conscious yoga. Subconsciously it is yoga, but it must become a conscious yoga. Subconsciously it is a yoga because all life is striving towards a kind of perfection. And initially it is a limited perfection of the humankind. Then it is a high idealistic perfection of the religious, ethical and the idealistic mind. Then it's a divine perfection which what Shubindo brings for us. So, but because no area or field of life has to be excluded, it's but natural that we want to know. For instance, how to sleep, how to make our sleep a yoga, how to make dream a yoga, how to make eating a yoga, how to make relationships part of yoga, how to make uh, even enjoying a cinema a yoga, how to make science, art, music, uh, culture, um, speech, uh, meditation, concentration, of course, all these are continuous yoga. How can our bathing, our uh, uh, everyday chores, activities, how they can be turned into yoga. So between them they have covered every detail of life. So actually they have left nothing uh, for which we need to ask somebody for guidance. Everything they have covered up. If one reads through carefully, everything is there and from different angles. So, it's not even that, okay, they have just written one letter and you have to go by that. So, the deepest mysteries, the highest secrets, the profoundest truths, along with that, the most mundane actions and activities of nature, movements are all covered. And as I said, the mother's writings in in very simple and very beautiful way. So… This is a must, mother's collected works for those who want to take the practice of yoga. In that we have taken up Volume 1, which is prayers and meditation. Volume 2, which are words of long ago, primarily before 1920, but they are as much relevant today. <laughs> and Volume 3, which is like a whole compendium of the yoga, which are uh, mother's conversations with certain sadhaks between, from 1929 to 1931. And then volume 3 also contains Dhammapada, commentaries on the Dhammapada, which are some of the last talks in 1958. Then from 1931 to 1950, we see that there are no particular talks of the mother. This does not mean that she was not speaking to people. She was writing letters, she was communicating with them, just like Shura was writing letters. And especially when the school started, in 1943, she was also taking French classes. So almost from 47 onward, the mother took classes in French, simple classes as because the children were also young. And naturally, when she was teaching French, she was not teaching French pronunciation and that was never the method of mother and Srivabitha. When Srivabitha was asked, how should we learn a language? So he says, for children it's okay, you start with grammar and other things. But for grown-ups... The best way is to pick up a classical literature <laughs> and plunge into it. So, Shovinda himself learned Sanskrit by reading Kalidas. You can imagine, the original. And he started plunging into it. He read, read again. I know some people who have learned French that way, by reading the mother's French prayers and meditations, which are in French. So, they were primarily French classes, but obviously not only French classes. And people asked questions, normally questions were of a general kind. Later on, she took up some of her own writings and writings. writing. We will come to that in a moment. So what happened to the classes uh, or these French classes between 47 to 50? Now they were noted by some people. And they were also, uh, for instance, Nalinida. That's one instance where he is noted by memory. Not noted literally, noted by memory and given their essence. So at one point of time it was asked whether those can be published as the mother's classes. And he said, no, there is too much of myself in it. But they are very nice. If you read, I, I would always recommend that other apart from mother and Sri and after reading them, uh, one should read Nalini Kant Gupta's uh, eight volumes of collected works. There are some others which are not part of collected works, but they are also, and they are really amazing. So there you will see some of those which are, the mother speaks, but uh, though they are not, uh, he himself said, they are my own, something has gone into it. But they are beautiful. So this one part. But then from 1950 onwards, she started taking French classes for the highest uh, group, which you know, in French itself, there are several levels, and those are the classes we see. They slowly developed from what was a class in French to a full-fledged class in yoga, because people asked questions from the Divine Mother in French, but they were asking about life problems, uh, issues of yoga, and normally uh, they would pick up one text or the other of the Mother or Sri Aurobindo, sometimes the questions would be of a general nature sometimes the questions will continue from the previous class something which has cs said and somebody remembers and asks question now there is a little interesting history about the questions itself which once taradi shared with me so she would ask people like if you have questions and many people would not ask but some of, some most of the questions actually 75% i believe were asked by taradi so her father once scolded him, her, that uh, you seem to be the only girl who doesn't seem to know anything. You are all, always asking questions. But mother was very happy. And in one of the places in her conversation, she mentions that she would often uh, plan the question in the other person. Uh, like, uh, you know, you have those paper planes and they would go like a blue point of light and enter into the head. But most people were not receptive. She was receptive. And so, if you look at it like this, you understand the Gita better. Arjun is asking such profound questions. <laughs> Arjun was made to ask these questions. And Shabitanda speaks of that in Gita Bhumika. He was made to ask these questions which were, uh, now they become questions for the whole humanity. So, there were people to whom she was kind of inviting these questions and uh, since these questions were connected with uh, their works, obviously they were questions related to yoga and somehow they cover every aspect of yoga. So the first uh, in Collected Works of the Mother Volume 4, we see that uh, classes from 21st December 1950 onwards are noted. That's how we'll see that the conversations run. They run up till 58. But the interesting part is, about 21st December 1950, that 5th December 1950, Sri had withdrawn. And uh, 9th December 1950, his body was entered into the Samadhi. uh, Initially, because it was radiating that light, so uh, because of that, there were no signs of degeneration. Subsequently, as the light began to withdraw, the body was entered into the Samadhi. Now, for 12 days, the mother did not step out. And there's a very interesting story about it, that she would often start going to the highest, because she came from there, and so did Shiruvinndo. And it was very difficult to bring her down towards see the importance of someone, because Shirrvindo his mere presence was enough to hold the divine Shakti right upon earth. So Pranabda at that time, she had told him don't go from here, just you go for half an hour and he would go for half an hour and come back. And it is said that when mother would wander into these highest, highest realms, he would be guarding that nothing, no kind of force tries to enter and he would call Ma, Ma, Ma and she would come back into the body. So these are the Leela of the Divine Mother which very often you won't get to read. People often ask, what is the source? Well, Uh, having read everything and uh, spoken to so many people, not as a journalist, but as a seeker, I can't say exactly what source where. But yes, these are authentic stories. So, but after twelve days, because she was not stepping out, the children, they felt… Can you imagine what must have happened? Champaklaji, Nirodha, they felt suddenly uh, orphaned. And then the mother saw that and then after twelve days she came, she gave a darshan. And nirotha describes what a beautiful smile. We just forgot everything. There was a card also which was given, that message, card with a message. Basically that don't be carried away by appearances, he is very much with us. So, all whatever sense of missing, all that vanished in these sadhaks. Some could not because they had never accepted the mother, but that's a different story. And therefore she started coming out, playground, there were classes, and that uh, we see that the whole mood changed, the atmosphere changed, and she would take the classes, go to the playground, then come back. And often she would go in that car, which you'll see, mother's chariot. and (laughs) It's a whole beautiful story. These classes initially were meant, as I said, for those who were studying in the school. But how can it be when the mother is taking classes, only students in the school will go? So gradually the sadhaks began to join in. So the level of questions also you will see very different. Some are asked from students who are… some are asked by children, some by those who are growing adolescent, then adult, some by… Sadaks like Nalini Da, Pavitra Da, who have been there for a long, long time. So you'll see very different levels of questions. But thanks to that, now the answer comes to all of us. So this is the beauty of these classes. I'll just I've just taken a few from here and there because naturally about 450 pages. But just to give a sample, how indispensable these works are. Of course, they are translated in English. Approved by the mother Though the mother said that When you translate and print A lot of power is lost So my suggestion is Those who know French And can hear It is beautiful In any case when you hear You see What you get is Tone Which is so important in conversation But when you read You have comma Full stops Beautifully, you'll suddenly find silence. Somebody has noted it, that mother was silent for a long time. Thank God they… Or mother smiles, mother laughs, long silence. So these are very interesting things which… But when you are hearing it, it has a very, very powerful impact. So that's best, but otherwise for most of us, it is um, as useful because ultimately it is the Divine Mother whose gift it is. So for example, uh, people often ask what is the Divine Will? What does the Divine want? They don't usually use the word Divine Will. What does the Divine want? So it looks like a child's place. Suddenly you will hear a voice and guidance and Mother is asking me this, Mother is saying this. If you see the conditions, it requires a yoga just to know what the Divine Will is. So question is, how can we know what the divine will is? So see the level of the question. Mother says, one does not know it, one feels it. It's a very important distinction because the divine will is here. This is the seat of the divine. It's not thoughts telling you. It's a sense which emerges from within, like a sunrise. Before the sun has arisen or just when it is sort of arisen, You don't see the sun, but you know the sun has a reason. That's the closest I can describe to knowing the divine will. It can, very gentle indication. It's never a loud voice, a booming command. Do this and don't do this. If you do this, thus shall it be. And if you don't, none of this. Very gentle, something very gentle, but in each person will get translated in a certain way. Sometimes there is a little image which is pointing you in this direction. ways. Then it goes into the background. And if you don't follow it, it will recede. But you will understand over years the power of that still small voice. I can say this with concrete experience that you know you may uh, still want to follow a certain line which you have taken up. You may use explanation, justification, sodharma, need of certain experience, whatever call it whatever, thousand ways of justifying. And that still small voice has just come, shown you and then gone to the background. You will learn its importance after years. This is the significance of this still small voice, but very difficult to heed it. So she says, one feels it. And in order to feel it, one must will with such an intensity, Such sincerity that every obstacle disappears. You have literally asked her, what should I do? After that, you can't just, you know, fool around. (laughs) As long as you have a preference, this is where the problem lies. A desire, an attraction, a liking, all these veil the truth from you. And who can say that one doesn't have these things? I say we can say, yes. <laughs> Who can say with certainty? Because these things mask under very good names. And the ultimate thing is mother's work. People have even gone into things saying a kind of experience they need. The divine allows. That's a different thing. Psychic being takes through all kinds of roads. But the divine will always for a, is for a sweet sunlit path. But see the difficulty. Hence... The first thing to do is to try to master, govern, correct all the movements of your consciousness and eliminate those which cannot be changed until all becomes a perfect and permanent expression of that truth. So that's why Shubhinda says, unless you have equanimity, you won't get to know the divine will. Equanimity is a practice in its own right. And even to will this is not enough for very often one forgets to will it. What is necessary is an aspiration which burns in the being like a constant fire. So even if you have not been able to follow it right away, then let that aspiration burn, 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 till eventually all that had obstructed, deviated, all that is straightened or removed from the nature. It must be thrown into this fire if you have a desire A preference, an attraction, it must be thrown into this fire. If you do this persistently, you will see that a little gleam of true consciousness begins to dawn in your ordinary consciousness. This is literally the experience. Literally, if you close your eyes, you will almost see almost see, I mean you don't see, of the dawn. There is no sun seen, but you know it is morning. Sun will arise little later. (laughs) So it's the dawn. At first it'll be faint, very far behind all the din of desires, preferences, attractions, likings. But you must go behind all this and find the true consciousness. What is its sign? All calm, tranquil, almost silent. See, the divine has his ways, its you know in Hindi they say. Isharon isharon mein baat se. So he doesn't, sometimes with his eyes, I know people who, who were going through a difficult moment and they were looking at uh, mother's photograph or Shirobindo's photograph. I know even recently somebody described this experience because one was going through intense pain and agony and was gazing at Shirobindo's photograph, seeking help. Suddenly saw the photograph move. Not the photograph, the eyes move. Photograph move is another thing which people have sometimes seen. Eyes move. And that was like, not only the assurance of the help, it as if suddenly removed that whole thing. So the action of the divine is very different from how he is all-powerful, but we have to be receptive and open. And then she says that for everything, to solve a problem... Learn a lesson, a lot of concentration and attention is needed. So, then there are questions on what is concentration, what is meditation. So many letters of Mother and Shurubindo, conversations on this subject, that it itself can form a big book. People often ask, they go here and there, take classes. I just, I have never understood why you need to undergo courses on concentration if you have turned to Mother and Shurubindho. They have described everything and they have given you the choice, literally on a platter, describing the effects of each. So, um, I'll uh, come to concentration meditation, but just one little thing. She says, concentration can be developed exactly like the muscles. So, that's why one must learn to concentrate in whatever one is doing. See, one of the qualities of Arjun which makes him a recipient of the Gita is that Arjun has got tremendous concentration. Even at night he can concentrate. He is the only known warrior which I know of other than possibly Lakshman who could shoot arrows at night on target, who had conquered sleep. That's why he is called as Gudakesh. (laughs) Gudakesh because he had conquered sleep. These two warriors, Lakshman and Arjun who had conquered sleep, And therefore, they could fight a battle even at night. Concrete sleep doesn't mean they never slept. But if they needed, they were not overpowered by sleep. They had mastery over sleep and they could continue to fight and be with full vigour. So, it can be developed. And this kind of concentration can be developed exactly like the muscles. So, even when one is doing a work, if you are all concentrated on the work, even sweeping the floor, Mother speaks of that, you know. One may follow different systems, different methods of training. Today we know that the most pitiful weakling, for example, can with discipline become as strong as anyone else. One should not have a will which flickers out like a candle. So important thing is will. If this is the will, we must concentrate, cultivate it like a regular exercise. But the thought, what is the use, must not come in to weaken the will. This is what happens with most people. They do not achieve because it's done with a hesitating mind. That's why the Gita says you cannot do yoga with a hesitating mind. And now she explains the difference between meditation and concentration. One will not find this difference anywhere, I can assure you, how she is describing. Meditation is a purely mental activity to start with. All the words we use, oh, I was meditating so much. It interests only the mental being. One can concentrate while meditating, but this is a mental concentration. One can get a silence, but it is a purely mental silence. And the other parts of the being are kept immobile and inactive, so as not to disturb the meditation. Why? Because you have entered into a little mind space. By concentrating, you have entered into a mind space where things are not disturbing you. The white is like somebody who enters a library and shuts himself off. So, what is happening on the other side, you don't know. You may sit in the library for 20 hours. But when you step out, very often you will be worse. So, she says something very interesting. You may pass 20 hours of the day in meditation and for the remaining four hours, you will be an altogether ordinary man because only the mind has been occupied. The rest of the being, the vital and the physical is kept under pressure so that it may not disturb. This is something such an important thing which we don't understand. We think, you know, withdrawing into meditation, oh, he is meditating so much. The hours of activity and life are as important in yoga. That's what she reminds again and again in one of her first prayers, early prayers. You read this that when you contemplate, the purpose is union with the divine. But actually your nature has to go through all the different challenges and experiences so that they can pass through the anvil and develop suppleness, humility, all these aspects. But we go so much by meditation. That's why sometimes when you see some of these, even dharmacharyas and gurus and ancient time, uh, you see they they could be so rough and they could be so anger prone. Why was it? Because that's the problem with a kind of jnani yoga which you may undertake. It's not even jnani yoga. Jnani yoga is different. But meditation. But it doesn't change your nature. Yes, you become aware of a space where you can withdraw. It's all right, you know, when you have a fight, quarrel in the house, you say, I'm going to shut myself in the puja room (laughs) and read a book. It's okay, but that's not what yoga is about. So, this is what we must understand the difference. Certainly, this indirect action can have an effect, but I have known in my life people whose capacity for meditation was remarkable, but who, when not in meditation, were quite ordinary men, even at times ill natured people who would become furious if their meditation was disturbed. Now this explains Durvasha. This explains Gautam Rishi. This explains uh, Vishwamitra getting suddenly angry. They were great, but that's not what integral yoga is about. Perhaps it's not even what yoga as union with the divine is about. But yes, they ascended in consciousness. They had certain experiences. So, you may concentrate. Concentration is a more active state. You may concentrate mentally, you may concentrate vitally, physically, psychically and you may concentrate integrally. Concentration or the capacity to gather oneself at one point is more difficult than meditation. Meditation is a mental activity. You think about the divine and then you know various thoughts are coming to you or you think about God is love and all about love is coming. So... Meditation is mental. Concentration is on the divine. You take an idea. The divine is in all. All is in the divine. The divine is the all. And then that concentration will open a door. So it's very difficult to fix the uh, consciousness on that one point. Anyone who has tried it knows how difficult it is initially. Concentration or the capacity to gather oneself at one point is more difficult than meditation. Because you may gather one portion, you may gather entirety and based on that the effects will be different. So all this in great detail and uh, I am just reading some portions here and there. Then transformation. So often people believe that you know by suddenly following a certain diet, following a certain practice, imagery... All these things, they are suddenly, you know, as if transformation will take place. Look what Mother is saying. That's why it's so important to go there to their original writings. The starting point of this transformation is receptivity. We have already spoken about it. We've spoken about it in earlier um, volume 29 to 31. Receptivity. How does receptivity come by giving oneself to the Divine? It, Otherwise, just doing things in the mind. Because, see, mind, in human beings, mind is the main active part, leader. So, we do lot of things mentally and we believe that we are into yoga. Well, it's a part of the journey. But yoga really begins when the psychic depths have been explored and opened. That is the indispensable condition for opt- obtaining the transformation. Okay? Then comes the change of consciousness. This is so important. This change of consciousness and its preparation have often been compared with the formation of the chicken in the egg. Till the very last second, the egg remains the same. There is no change. And it is only when the chicken is completely formed, absolutely alive, that it itself makes with its little beak a hole in the shell and comes out. Now, different people take different length of time. And I often take this example of there are certain trees which will come out much faster. There are certain trees which will come much later. For instance, bamboo. But once it comes, it grows like amazing. <laughs> so, whereas there are some after a long time, little bit, they will develop into a very mighty big tree. There are some which will grow very fast. But they will grow into a small sweet looking plant. So, in each one it takes Different period of time, this hatching and this is such a beautiful example she has used because literally hatching, Uh, how is the hatching, how does it take place? The mother hen literally gives warmth to the egg. She is brooding over it and that wings give the warmth necessary from the outside. She also in the nest, it's covered with all things which will give it warmth. So how do we hatch the egg? Warmth. Where does the warmth come from? That is what tapasya is about. The word tapo. Tap is literally heat. How is the heat generated? When we are concentrated on that one thing, then the heat is generated. So inside, suddenly there is thawing and there is the breaking of the bigment, that the mother does it when things are ready. Because if they are not ready, it can disturb the whole system. Because right now mind is the king, so this new prince comes. mind does not easily obey it it says, I am, I am the king. who are you? you say "I actually am the real. I am the prince, the would-be king, I am the king designate. Mind doesn't give easily, and if the vital is not controlled it'll completely block resist that's why the long preparation because they have, mind and vital have learned to form a pact. The pact is vital says, I'll do all kinds of things, you justify me. <laughs> Mind says, okay. Mind says, okay, but you have to allow me time to meditate. It's okay. You have an lot time, you meditate. Rest of the time, I'll have my say. You don't say anything. So this is how they form a pact. But when the psychic comes, it changes the entire view. So that's what is the reversal of consciousness. The way we looked at life, at ourselves, through this constant justification... Before the psyche comes out, everybody other than me is bad. The psyche comes out, it shows you a mess inside you, (laughs) which needs to be cleared. So, something similar takes place at at the moment of the change of consciousness. For a long time you have the impression that nothing is happening. That your consciousness is the same as usual. And if you have an intense aspiration, you even feel a resistance as though you were knocking against a wall which does not yield. But when you are ready within, a last effort, the pecking in the shell of the being and everything opens and you are projected into another consciousness. It's so sudden, it may not happen that that opening, that point, need not happen when you are sitting in concentration at the samadhi. It may happen very randomly in a place where you are ready and inwardly something is going on. Inside, you may be walking on a road... With traffic and everything, you have some plans for the evening and you are walking on the road. But this concentration, the time has come. (laughs) So, God has a sense of, you know, humor and irony. Suddenly there is that opening and you are thrust into a different world. Everything changes, everything loses its… or carries a different meaning. Many things just lose their meaning and you just don't know. And that spontaneity of experience is so important. That's why this code says this too much of mentalization is never a good thing. The spontaneity is so beautiful. Once, at least I remember once, going on a scooter on a busy road in Bangalore and suddenly a door opens and you are drowned in what is called as that. Everywhere is that. And it's like, it's blissful peace and I can't even describe its endless vastness. Sense of universality in your time in the scooter. This fellow is holding the scooter and driving. but Now I can laugh at it funnily, but that time it's all such a stillness. And it is so smoothly, wheel really you are flying somewhere. You are actually non-existent existence or while having meal with somebody. And that's the beauty. I find it very beautiful because that's the way the divine plays with us he doesn't have a moment he doesn't come knocking the door okay you are meditating i'll come now good time <laughs> oh you are in a temple i'll reveal myself he he and i, I have found it so beautiful this Thing. And all, at least with me, all experiences have been like that. Plenty of them. And mother speaks about it. That they suddenly at the most unsuspecting moment with the most unsuspecting person in a most unsuspecting place. And you don't know now what to do. Because, uh, you know, you are in another world altogether, another consciousness altogether, another dimension. Whereas people around you are in a different state. So this is the beauty of this. When the hatching takes place, you don't know. But it's very beautiful because it's like you are waiting for God and one day God says, okay, I come in. And that's the moment you are least expecting him. (laughs) So, it's very beautiful. These experiences when they come with the spontaneity of a child. But then it's not only about uh, meditation, concentration. Look here what she says. Misery, for the major part of the world's misery comes from the fact that things are not in their place. Never thought of evil like this. If you start looking at this world as a jigsaw puzzle, things are not in their place. And slowly you see what is happening in the world today. Things are being pushed, nations are being pushed so that they will reach their place. And this resistance, there is a kind of no, I want to be here where I have. Okay, then bhab ki bapati. My father's days, I have a right to be here, but this is the divine Shakti. She is pushing things in their place. So she says, if life were organized in such a way that nothing was wasted and each thing was in its place, most of these miseries would not exist any longer. There are other causes of miseries which she describes in these same conversations. An old sage has said, there is no evil there is only a lack of balance. So beautiful. Because one part is moving, other part is not moving. Very strangely, this is a discovery one can make. If you take to yoga, you automatically get energy, intensity, all this develops in you. Now, there are parts of your nature which will use that very energy. As Shobindu says, in some people, vice is an abundance of energy. Flowing in unregulated channels. Not that everybody who has vices would say, I have a lot of you know, <laughs> divine energy. But that, and they use that energy. That's why they were called in the Vedas as robbers of the deep. Panini, pani, pani, Not panini, Sorry. pani, pani. They, and you'll see and you feel robbed. Even cheated. And who has cheated you? Your own mind has cheated you. Nobody has cheated you. That same energy, that same intensity has gone. Because it was there, the emotional or vital parts will use it. It's One learns the ropes in one's own way (laughs) over a period of time, just sharing how things happen. And so, lack of balance. And this happens because it's very difficult to maintain that balance. There is nothing bad, only things are not in their place. If everything were in its place, in nations… In the material world, in the actions and thoughts and feelings of individuals, the greater part of human suffering would disappear. Everything will have its right place. Ritchit, that's how the Veda says, she is revealing the truth of Ritchit. People do with Shabda, Vakya, etc. This is the Ritchit. Things at every level, micro and mi- macro level, at their own place. That's why she says one place, for instance, illness. Desires irritate the organs. Now you eat, eat something nice, eat something pleasant. What is tasty? Relish it. All that is fine. But the moment you overeat, now see there is a want of balance. And then after overeating, you want to do a exercise. Then heart is saying, "I am missing out on blood. <laughs> yeah, I have to pump to the muscles, but all the blood has gone to the stomach. Please give yourself some rest." So many of these things were designed that way. It applies at every level. So there are two things to be considered. This is very important for this yoga. Consciousness and the instruments through which consciousness manifests. Let us take the instruments. There is the mental being which produces thoughts, the emotional being which produces feeling. Just imagine like to a child she's explaining, isn't it? <laughs> she, is, she is so wonderful. The vital being which produces the power of action and the physical being that acts. Okay, now these are the different parts. The man of genius may use anything at all and make something beautiful because he has genius. But give this genius a perfect instrument and he'll make something wonderful. Take a great musician. Well, even with a wretched piano and missing notes, he will produce something beautiful. But give him a good piano, well-tuned, and he will do something still more beautiful. The consciousness is the same in either case but for expression it needs a good instrument a body with mental vital psychic and physical capacities that would explain many things for instance why arjun is chosen as an instrument vidur can get rigid with his technicalities bhishma is rigid in his mind had his own greed and other things arjun is supple to accept the guidance but He is a master, skilled archer. He is not just anybody picked up. It's a different matter that Sri Krishna could pick up anybody. But he is master in his own way. Therefore, Sri Krishna could use him as his perfect instrument adapted for the work. So we have to develop both consciousness as well as the instruments. Instruments are capacity to think, feel, make them purified, refined, life with all its passion play, refine it, the physical body, it should be strong, supple. So, all these are instruments and the more they are developed, the more the divine action can take place. So, all this again, uh, she describes at great length. <clears throat> then she talks about suffering and how see at every level There is a way you can master suffering. But she says even without reaching a higher state of consciousness, there is a stage when one can develop in oneself the faculty of reason. A clear, precise, logical reason, sufficiently objective in its vision of things. And when one has developed this reason well, all impulses, feelings, desires, all disturbances can be put in the presence of this reason. And that makes you reasonable. Buddhi, yoga… You apply this buddhi to emotions. To That's what Sri Krishna orients Arjun with the help of reason. He says, you are feeling too emotional, sentimental. Your life is ebbing away. Your body is not willing to act. What does he do? He starts applying first reason. As a kshatriya, this is your sudharma. You are grieving for those for whom one should not grieve. You have been called upon to this battle. If you run away... You will set a bad example. You have to master your emotional being and your vital attachments if you have to engage in this great f- field of action towards which you have been called. So reason can, many things can be prevented in life because reason can even show you possible consequences. It can project into the future. So, of course, being reasonable is not easy. But how even that is part of yoga? Yoga. Most people, when something troubles them, become very unreasonable. When, for example, they are ill, they pass the time saying, Oh, how ill I am. See the humour and see that subtle touch. Oh, how ill I am. How frightful it is. Is it going to last like that all the time? Now, isn't it a waste of energy? What a waste of energy it is. And also it makes things worse. People also do that. People will come to see you and say, Oh my God, how ill you are. How did it happen? Are you, how does it matter? I went and ate food in that particular hotel and I developed a loose. <laughs> Is it relevant? I went to a market, I must have caught Covid. I mean, where you got it, how you got it? Maybe you went to a right restaurant, didn't wash your hands. Maybe you were in an irritable mood. So the bowels became irritable. How do you know? So, all this we should instead of that. And naturally, it gets worse and worse. So, she is giving such a beautiful example of being reasonable. Well, it will take its time. Illness has its own course. It will go away. Or when some misfortune befalls them, they cry out, It is only to me that these things happen. (laughs) So funny. Everybody believes that, huh? That they have been marked out by destiny to suffer. And I was thinking that everything was fine before, and they burst into a fit of tears, a fit of nerves. Well, not to speak of Superman, in man himself there is a higher capacity called reason, which is able to look at things calmly, coldly, reasonably. And this reason tells you, quote, Don't worry, that will improve nothing. You must not grumble. You must accept the thing since it has come. Then you immediately become calm. It is a very good mental training. It develops judgment, vision, objectivity and at the same time it has a very healthy action upon your character. It helps you to avoid the ridiculousness of giving way to your nerves and lets you behave like a reasonable person. See, Where do you find all this? When you read it, it looks, yeah, 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 that's correct. But then, you never thought like that or applied it. When she gives it, she adds a force to it. Why? Because it is coming from Mother. I can tell you, again with direct experience, whatever she says, she gives us the force to put it into practice. So many times I have seen it. So, that's how one can continue... And um, need and desire, one of the questions, he talks about it and uh, then um, good and bad, the relativity, what appears to you good, favorable is not always what's best for you from a spiritual point of view. It is this which must be learned from the beginning, that the divine perception of what will lead you fastest to the goal is absolutely different from yours and that you cannot understand it. I mean at that point of time. So all this uh, and therefore she says human notion of justice is so flawed. Because human notion of justice is karma and consequence. But what really is the consequence meant to lead you toward the divine? So when we do when we do a certain action or even without doing an action there are plenty of things which happen in life where you are not directly involved you may be hit by a hit by a truck i mean all kinds of things may happen i have seen that happen to people now all these things happen and you just can't keep passing the buck to some karma in some life but when you look at it from that point of view that why a good person had to go through a difficult period much more difficult while his so called uh, bad counterparts were having fun time, living till ninety-nine, drinking and enjoying and partying. You have to understand that because the good has to be drawn towards something much greater. Whereas this person, he is still in the kindergarten and therefore he is going through life in his own way. It's like children who are just playing. That's their age to play. But as they grow up, things begin to change, become more and more serious. So this idea of justice she takes up When can one say that one has truly entered the spiritual path? Good question. Capacity to meditate, joining an ashram, ability to recite the scriptures, writing philosophical articles. (laughs) No. So what is the sign? The first sign, and she says it is not the same for everybody, but in a chronological order, is that everything else appears to you absolutely without importance. Things which you gave so much importance earlier. Automatically something in you begins to feel. that It's a misplaced priority. Your entire life, all your activities, all your movements continue. If circumstances so arrange things. But they all seem to you utterly unimportant. This is no longer the meaning of your existence. This is the first sign. Without it, yoga doesn't begin. One may do crash courses, one can go pay 25,000 rupees or 1 lakh rupees and learn 10 days meditation. It will make no difference. There is nothing spiritual about it. One may develop a little bit of peace, whatever, I mean, that's different. There may be another. For example, the feeling that everything is different, of living differently, of a light in the mind which was not there before. So there are two. One is a negative sign. Things which were important, they lose importance. The second is you may begin to feel a kind of inner calm, a kind of peace, a clarity which begins to emerge. A peace in the heart which was not there before. That does not make a change, but the positive change usually comes later. Sometimes it begins like a great illumination, a deep joy enters into you. But generally, afterward, this goes into the background. For there are too many imperfections still persisting in you. It is not disgust, it is not contempt, but everything appears to you so uninteresting that it is truly not worth the trouble of attending to it. And I may add, especially in India, is marriages and marriage ceremonies. <laughs> so uninteresting, I people go enjoy, they enjoy what is whatever it is, haldi and ghana and God knows, <laughs> partying and all this, life, yeah, whatever it is. So all kinds of things. People enjoy, they take a lot of joy in friends meeting together. Let's go partying, let's meet together, let's catch up. It loses meaning. Catch up for what? (laughs) To chatter, take a call, phone. I know people who can talk to a stranger for half an hour. And convince them about anything and they become great friends. No, that's not what… It is a good quality in the vital. But it is different from spiritual lives. The spiritual life, everything begins to change automatically. For instance, when you are in the midst of certain physical conditions, pleasant or unpleasant, you say to yourself, it was so important to me, all that, but it has no importance at all. There are times when things which appear so important i can share very uh, personal level and then we can we'll do this in two uh, portions because lot of plenty of interesting things in each of the books i don't want to rush through so at, um, i was once sent to, to the chn base because of uh, displeasing someone it was not told to me that it's a punishment but it was i knew it was people told me that Higher ups have taken to it and sent you there for three months on a kind of detachment. It means detachment is not that detachment, but three Air Force people will go. Uh, you know, Siachen foothills, it's. And uh, people thought that it's, you know, I was just married, you'll be away and all this. But it was the most beautiful grace in my life because there was nobody to disturb me, there was nothing all around. And all that I carried with me was synthesis of yoga. And most of the synthesis of yoga I read during that three-month period. I could shut myself in a room or just go out for a walk and then come back alone, solitude, which always you wanted. So even now when I look back, it's with great longing and fondness. (laughs) Now I can't do that so you see but it may appear otherwise oh my god why i was just married why did they do this and one may start feeling bad about it but honestly i thank the people that they became instruments of divine grace so you start seeing things very differently from how you would perceive them at you know when you are caught up in the web of circumstances so yeah then she speaks i'll just take five more minutes Then she speaks about different types of meditation, okay? So, (laughs) let's look at the humor. And she Mm -hmm. says, the number of hours you spend in meditation is uh, not really important. She has made a, uh, in 29, 1929, she has made a comment, Uh, then you have rather to make an effort to stop meditating, it becomes difficult to stop meditation. And what does she mean by that? Because she speaks of meditation, not concentration. Difficult to stop thinking of the divine. Difficult to come down to the ordinary consciousness. Then she says, that is true meditation. Because it is natural for you. And then she, the mother gives a comment, how I wish this would become true for everybody. Some of these comments are so sweet. You may be engaged in the most active action. For example, in playing basketball, which needs a great deal of movement and yet not lose the attitude of inner meditation and concentration upon the divine. And when you get that, you will see that all you do changes its quality. Not only will you do it better, but you will do it with an altogether unexpected strength and at the same time keep your consciousness so high and so pure that nothing will be able to touch you any longer. This is what Nalini describes in one of his experiences while playing football. He says, suddenly the psychic can even make your body make the right moves. What today we call as reflexes, it can enter into the physical substance and make you do things which you, you could not have mentally or even with practice done it. Because with practice it gets into the physical consciousness. But when this physical consciousness is touched by the psychic, then the same action assumes a very different quality. And now we understand, see, what is she saying? There is a phrase in the Gita, Yoga ha karma It is not that if you do, if, if you are skillful in works, you are doing yoga. No. There are plenty of people who can be very good in their works, far from yoga. But if you are doing yoga, you will be skillful in your works. Because that's why the great teaching Yoga kuru karmani. If you do it, then yogaha karma shukvaslam. Do not fall into the very common error of believing that you must sit in an absolutely quiet corner where nobody passes by, where you are in a classical position and altogether immobile in order to be able to meditate. It is not true. We know Sri Aurobindo would have Meditate with open eyes while walking. Mother, while playing tennis. I mean, all the time she was in that state. What is needed is to succeed in meditating under all circumstances. And I call meditating not emptying your head, but concentrating yourself in a contemplation of the Divine. And if you keep this contemplation within you, all that you do will change its quality. Not its appearance, for apparently it will be the same thing but its quality and life will change its quality and you, you will feel a little different from what you were, with a peace, a certitude, an inner calm, an unchanging force, something which never gives way. Thank you. We will continue CWM4 next time.